Hi, welcome to Play Therapy Across the Lifespan. This is a podcast to help counseling professionals and students use play therapy to facilitate deep healing. I'm glad you found us. I'm Dr. Denise Thomas, and I coordinate the play therapy specialization at Lipscomb University in Nashville. We've created this place for learning, growing, and being real. Play therapy can be exhausting, but so rewarding. Thanks for inviting us to join you on your journey. In season one, we want to start with the basics. How do you do this play therapy thing? Around here, we believe that play therapy is more than just kids. So we'll talk about using it with adults and adolescents too. I know there's something for you. So let's get started. Welcome back to the last episode of our first season of Play Therapy Across the Lifespan. This has been fun. I have loved getting to spend a few minutes with you sharing my love of play therapy. Today's episode is Developing Comfort with Pain. While I think play therapy is a lot of fun, seeing clients hurt isn't fun at all. If you've listened and applied the previous podcast, then you will feel a lot of pain with your clients. It's the downside of high empathy. As helpers, sometimes we have this mistaken idea that the more we are upset by the hurt around us, the more we care. And that is just a recipe for burnout. Instead, what I want you to learn is how to be comfortable with pain without taking on the responsibility to fix it. That might sound hypocritical since clients come to us for relief from their hurts, but the best way for us to help is to create the path for the clients to do the work. Really, even if you had the most brilliant and healing plan in existence, it wouldn't be as helpful to clients as letting them do their own work. That means that you will witness their frustration at times at not knowing what to do, their sadness at the situation they did not choose, or their anger at not having a voice. But their ability to honestly express those things is important for them to be able to resolve them. So today, I have three suggestions for developing comfort with pain. First, let the client do his or her own work. I can't emphasize this point enough. For the client to heal He has to have the safety and the space to walk through the pain, and you cannot do it for him. Once you fully understand this, you will begin to reframe the discomfort with pain as an encouraging step towards healing. It's hard, but it's healthy. Second, don't rush to rescue. We want to help, especially with children so our inclination is to ease the pain. Here's a tissue. It's okay. What kind of things make you feel better? But none of this really gets to the heart of the pain, and they might send the message to dry the tears, tuck the pain back inside, and put on your brave face. It might even send the message that this isn't a safe place for big feelings. 
A lot of times, this comes from our own discomfort. We don't know what to do or how to fix it, and we feel a responsibility to do so from the parents or our agency or even from ourselves. So we try to problem solve. Problem solving is much more comfortable than problems. But the problem with that is that the client can't express what is most needed in order to be able to resolve the problem. By rushing to rescue, we actually short-circuit the process. The third suggestion for getting comfortable with pain is to use curiosity instead of problem-solving. I wonder what you are going to do. I'm curious to see how the little kitten gets out of this one. This keeps the responsibility on the client, not you, yet clearly lets her know that you are right there with her on this journey. She won't be alone, and she won't be alone with her hard stuff. Let clients do their own work. Don't rush to rescue. Be curious instead. This won't make the pain easier, but it will make it easier for you to witness it. When older clients feel deep pain, especially when it is accompanied by a sense of helplessness to do anything about it, I call it sitting in the stuck. That's what we do with our clients. We sit in the stuck with them, again, without the responsibility to tow them out because this is their work. Now, I'm not talking about spinning your wheels and not really getting anywhere. I'm talking about those hard places where they're at the heart of doing their work. When clients creatively express their situation using expressive arts, they see their experience from a third-person perspective. They may only see that the situation is beyond their power to change. Maybe the abuse happened 20 years ago, or the person who hurt them has died. As they look at what they have created to depict their experience, they may feel powerless to change it. As helpers, that often triggers in us a desire to help the client get past this to be able to do the work. We feel helpless too. Instead, the real help is to let the client acknowledge the emotions that come up. They don't do the work after they get past this stuck. The stuck is the heart of their work. It's hard. It's hard to sit with deep pain. Adults need the space to really feel the depth of their pain. Here in North America, this isn't socially acceptable. I'm guessing it isn't acceptable a lot of other places, too. It's usually not considered okay to show negative emotions, unless maybe you're on reality TV. We very rarely show raw emotion to anyone else on the planet. That's why having a safe space to do therapeutic work includes being safe enough to feel whatever comes up when looking at the creative expression of an experience. So, if you want to do deep healing play therapy with older clients, learn to become more comfortable sitting in the stuck.
Hi, I'm Caitlin, and I recently earned a graduate degree from Lipscomb University. Located in Nashville, Tennessee, Lipscomb University offers a KCREP accredited Master of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling. One of only 29 approved play therapy centers in the world, Lipscomb's Clinical Mental Health Counseling degree is designed to include a specialization in play therapy. Graduates can become a licensed professional counselor with a mental health service provider designation. Accepting applications now. More information at lipscomb.edu slash counseling. People that love play therapy tend to be the kind of people that love fun, creativity, and relationships. They're the same people that twitch at the word research. Yet research is the backbone of this treatment modality. It gives our profession credibility, and it helps us become better at what we do as we learn about what works. I teach my students in the first semester to learn how to read a research article in 15 minutes or less. Yes, skimming is absolutely allowed. If you did this every workday for a year, you'd read about 250 articles instead of letting those journals pile up as unread reminders. And that's barely 3% of your work week. Rachel Sellers is that rare individual that is passionate about working with kids, but also passionate about research. She's going to share some of the current research in play therapy, and I promise it won't be dull and boring. Before we dig into some research, I just wanted to echo the heart of what has already been said. That is, it is not our job as therapists to fix or eradicate a client's pain, but rather to see it and validate it, to lean into it with the client, to believe with them that they are capable of healing and moving through whatever it is they need to work through. This is what I think it means to hold space. We must be careful not to take responsibility for someone else's process. If and when we do, the message we risk sending is, I don't see you as capable of navigating this. I am better than you. I am more capable than you. And you are broken. This is, of course, not what we want to communicate to our clients. We do want to communicate empathy and validation and the belief that they have it within themselves to heal. Based on an updated meta-analysis, which is just a combination of several different studies, in general, clients have better outcomes in therapy when they perceive that their therapist understands them, meaning that empathy is a crucial and necessary element of any therapeutic relationship. This has been supported by over 80 studies, and it's now in multiple meta-analyses. The research on empathy has several clinical implications. I could speak to so many of them, but for today's segment, I'm just going to speak to three. First of all, empathetic therapists do not simply parrot words back to a client. Instead, they try to understand the client's goals, emotions, and beliefs, their unspoken messages, and nonverbals. Good therapists utilize reflections, specifically of emotion, to convey understanding and empathetic attunement especially when a client discloses something particularly painful. 
Second, there is no evidence that therapists accurately predicting a client's own views of their problems or experiences is effective. Therapists should neither assume that they are mind readers or that their experience of one client will be the same as with other clients. Empathy requires ongoing humility. And the last clinical implication is that empathy requires individualizing. For example, certain clients may find the usual expressions of empathy too intrusive, whereas super self-protected clients may find empathy too directive. We need to titrate empathy to know when to respond with more or less empathetically oriented responses, depending on the client's need. This particular meta-analysis includes several other clinical implications that may be worth your read, so we've linked the article in the show notes. Well, that's the end of season one of Play Therapy Across the Lifespan. I'm a little sad that it is ending, but we have plans for next season already in the works. So make sure you have subscribed so you will be one of the first to hear season two. That's your action step for today. Play Therapy Across the Lifespan is made possible through the Lipscomb University Center for Play Therapy and Expressive Arts. If you have any comments or questions or things you want to hear next season, let us know at playtherapypodcast at gmail.com. We have links to all the research and references in the show notes for you and also at the website playtherapypodcast.org. A huge shout out to all of our grad students and alumni who contributed their time and talents to this podcast season. Audio engineer Sheldon Clark, songwriter Sarah Beth Goh, and research lover Rachel Sellers. I also want to give a huge shout out to Kara Allison for her behind-the-scenes work getting our website, email, and social media up and running. She also designed our cover art. I hope you'll join us next season as we talk about incorporating expressive arts. Until then, I'm your host, Dr. Denise Thomas. Go play, create, and heal.